It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipelines, Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. A good podcast we have for you this time because... Guys, we have some trades. It's exciting. Prospects, changing teams. We'll get into that. Obviously, the Pittsburgh Pirates, a big part of it, as they trade away Garrett Cole and Andrew McCutcheon since the last time we did this podcast. And the top 10 lists are coming out for the prospects. Tuesday was right-handed pitchers. Wednesday was lefties. Thursday, as we record this, has been catchers. We'll get through them all leading up to the top 100 list unveiled, which is January 27th. Let's start with the trades and we'll start with Garrett Coltrane. That one happened first, guys. Um, the Pirates get Joe Musgrove, Colin Moran, Michael Feliz, and Jason Martin as Garrett Cole heads to Houston and certainly solidifies what was already a really good rotation. Um, but the Pirates, it's a nice mix, I think. Uh, let's start with Joe Musgrove because in Musgrove you have a guy who has already pitched not only in the majors but has already pitched in the postseason, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, World Series ranked. Uh, it's not often to get a guy who is, you know, that young. Uh, I mean, I guess he's uh, now 25, but uh, and, and to have a World Series ring. Uh, now he did most of that work as a reliever as he sort of moved. Uh, he's a little trouble establishing himself as a as a starter with the Astros. Um, you know, not that they had a, a long leash there because they were competing, but he was going to move into a rotation. Now. I mean, this is a guy who was a top 100, uh, top 100 guy for us not that long ago. So to, uh, you know, to to get the chance to see what he might be able to do, uh, you know, in a starting role over the course of a long season uh, is kind of exciting. Jim, thoughts on Musgrove and Ira, I guess, if you want to go forward with that. Colin Moran is an interesting guy, too. He's number five now as far as a prospect rating goes for the Pirates. Um, he's a guy that has been on the radar for a long time. It seems like he's finally going to get a real shot in Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting trade, and I'm sure we'll circle back to, you know, at the end of this discussion, we talk about the players, was this a good trade? Could they have done better? You heard Yankees rumors. Um, and I really think this trade could go either way because if, if these players – you know, I shouldn't say if they all hit their ceilings, because the odds are you're going to get four guys to hit their ceilings. Uh, those are pretty long, but I mean, it, it's pretty interesting. You know, without you know belaboring Musgrove, I mean, this guy was one of the best, you know, command starters in the minors before he got up to Houston, and he got knocked around in the rotation, but he was really effective as a reliever. So even if he doesn't make it as a starter in Pittsburgh, he could still have some value. And Moran. You know, Moran, it's hard. To, every time I feel like I've got him figured out, it changes. I mean, this guy was the number six overall pick in 2013. And I still think that if the Astros had taken Mark Appel in 2012 like they wanted to, but he wasn't signable, they couldn't get a commitment on what it would take to sign him, if Appel was off the board because they took him number one overall in 2013, they would have taken Kyle Moran number one overall over Chris Bryant, over John Gray, he was a safe bet to hit. I mean, there was no way this guy wasn't going to hit. 
and then he got into the pro ball and he didn't hit uh, very much for a while. I mean, he was originally drafted by the Marlins. He got traded a year later for Jared Cozart, and you know he did hit some for average, but not much power. Uh, didn't show much defensively. You know, frankly, I mean, Jonathan, you probably heard some of this too. Just his body language turned off a lot of scouts. I mean, he did not have a lot of love in the scouting community for a guy who was number six overall pick in the draft. Then he had a really rough 2016, and it looked like he was going nowhere. And then last year he made some adjustments to his swing to try to hit more balls in the air. And he had the best year of his career and got up to the big leagues briefly. Um, so, I mean, you could kind of look at his development path, which took longer than anybody thought it would, and you could, if you're glass half full, say this guy was a sixth overall pick, and he made a lot of strides last year, and he might be a pretty solid everyday third baseman, but you could look at the glass half empty and say when he was drafted, nobody thought it would be five years before he'd really get a chance to play regularly in the big leagues, and he's had an up-and-down career. But, I mean, there is some upside there. I mean, I, I don't know if I think Colin Moran's going to be an all-star. I mean, maybe if the power he showed last year is legitimate, he could, because he, he does put the bat on the ball. I think he will hit for average. But, I mean, I, I do think you have a pretty good chance. I think there's a pretty good chance that, that even though Musgrove – Maybe got a little more prospect love coming through the minors. The Moran winds up being the best player in this deal for the Pirates in the long run. You look at the other players in this deal, Michael Feliz and Jason Martin. Jonathan, uh, Feliz, I think, throws hard right. Not sure where it's going yet. And then Martin will check in at number 19 as far as the Pirates prospect list. Yeah, I mean, Feliz is, I mean, the, the Pirates are, are, are been good at in the past, and especially now collecting guys uh, with premium velocity and, and uh, far from premium command, and you know they've—excuse <laughs> me—they've had some success in fixing guys like that, even if it's for you know a shorter period of time. Uh, but you know if they could get Feliz uh, to—he doesn't need pinpoint command to fill a relief role with his stuff. Uh, you know that could be a, a nice little get there. And and then Jason Martin is interesting. You know there there are some tools there. Uh, you know, he, he's got that power-speed combination. Um, he, you know, it's not wow across the board in, in any case, but he can do a little bit of everything well. Now, whether that means he's a fourth outfielder when all is said and done or, or if he can take a step forward and turn into an everyday guy, uh, maybe he, you know, he's probably going to be stuck in left field um, maybe you can play center left field at PNC Park if you're going to project ahead is a little bit different because it's such a big outfield. You kind of have to flip it around. You only put the guy with the weaker arm in right. But in terms of the profile, because of the arm, he doesn't really profile in right. He's maybe a little bit of a tweener, but he could be a really valuable fourth outfielder when all said and done. Jim, you mentioned uh, you know just weighing in on, on who wins this trade overall. And you mentioned the Yankees, and um, I was actually uh, talking to Brian Hoke today, our Yankees reporter. He mentioned that they really wanted Miguel Andujar and Clint Frazier if it was going to happen as far as the Yankees side goes. And obviously when you look at what they got, I don't think it is up to that standard as far as high-end prospects. So how do you rate this trade for both sides? Well, from Houston's standpoint, I think this trade was a no-brainer. I mean, you know, with Garrett Cole, there is some variance. You know, 2015, he was one of the better pitchers in baseball. 
he hasn't been as effective or as healthy over the last two years. So part of it is which Garrett Cole are you going to get? But I do think from the Astros standpoint, this is a no-brainer. I mean, you, you, you keep Garrett Cole for two years. And frankly, let's look at the guys they gave up from Houston's perspective. Col Moran wasn't going to take third base from Alex Bregman. That wasn't going to happen. Jason Martin, I think Johnson may like him a little bit more than me. I mean, to me, Jason Martin's really a fourth outfielder at best. He wasn't going to start for Houston. You know, and Feliz and Musgrove are interesting guys, but they were probably seventh inning, you know, sixth, seventh inning relievers in Houston. So from an Astros standpoint, you didn't give up anybody who was necessarily going to play a major role in the near future for you to get Garrett Cole. From Pittsburgh's standpoint, it's a little trickier. I mean, you know, the reports, and I don't know if you guys talked about this, Tim, when you talked to Brian, I mean, it sounded like the Yankees, you know, from the reports we've read, were willing to give up Clint Frazier, but it was pretty much going to be Clint Frazier and then not, you know, not any prime prospects. You know, not that they were using our top 30 list, but basically it was going to be Clint Frazier and not somebody else who was probably going to be good enough to make a top 30 list in the deep farm system. So, you know, I think then it comes down to, uh, yes, I would rather have Clint Frazier than any of these four guys in the trade that the Pirates did get. But I do think, you know, with the upside of the package, potentially is worth more than Clint Frazier. But it is, so it's, I, I didn't think it was a horrible trade. I guess my initial reaction when I saw it was that maybe I would have thought the headliner in the trade might have been a little bit better. But Pittsburgh seemed determined to trade him. And I guess, uh, yeah, I, I don't understand the the, the – speed with which these teams feel like they got to trade guys. I mean, I, I still, we talk about this all the time. I mean, I look at Rick Hahn here in Chicago, and Rick Hahn seems to have a pretty good process where if you don't give him what he thinks his guys are worth, he's not going to trade him and he'll wait. Um, I didn't think it was a terrible trade, but I, I thought they might have gotten a, a little bit better headliner in it. All right, let's move on to the other trade, and that was Andrew McCutcheon. So Garrett Cole obviously is one guy leaving Pittsburgh that – um, showed flashes, maybe never quite lived up to the billing. McCutcheon's a different story, Jonathan. I want to get your take just from the city standpoint because you're there in Pittsburgh. Obviously, there was no way the Pirates could trade Andrew McCutcheon and win the trade in the public eye just because Andrew McCutcheon is Andrew McCutcheon and, and he kind of represents that city and has so well. So what has kind of the, the vibe been in the Steel City since that deal? There are a lot of bridges in Pittsburgh. I'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think there are a lot of people not happy. And you're right. There is no way to to win this trade, and, and nor is there really any way for uh, anyone in Pittsburgh who had any affinity for the team to look at this trade objectively in any way, shape, or form. I mean, that's how much I, he meant to the organization and how much uh, people thought of him. So, you know, I, I think that whatever they got, it would be extremely difficult for people to be okay with it. Now, if they had somehow been able to get some preposterous return uh, that would not have been in line with Andrew McCutcheon's current value with one year left on his contract at age 31, then maybe they would say, all right, you know, I, I hate to see him go, but I understand what they're doing here. Uh, you know, but I think that anyone in Pittsburgh, if they're saying, oh, you're trading Andrew McCutcheon, the expectation of what you're going to get for Andrew McCutcheon in return doesn't even come anywhere close to matching up with what the reality of the situation was. 
The thing is that with where this team is right now in the division they're in and with McCutcheon only having one year left on that contract and probably not re-signing after that, it was almost a situation where I feel like they had to deal him or if not now at the trade deadline. And to me, when you look at that situation where they were, Jim, it's not a terrible return. Kyle Crick, who goes into their top 30, Brian Reynolds, who goes into their top five, and then a half a million dollars on the international market. And that can be valuable for a franchise like Pittsburgh. Yeah, I thought the trade made sense. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not in Pittsburgh, so I don't have the emotional attachment to Andrew McCutcheon. And, but, you know, from afar, it's easy to see how it would upset people to, to bid goodbye to Andrew McCutcheon and everything he, he's meant to the city. That said, you know, for the factors you just touched on, Tim, is, is I'm not even sure at the end of the year, would the Pirates have made him a qualifying offer? Would they have wanted to get tied down to that had he accepted? So you, you were facing the very real possibility that if you didn't trade him now, well, let's say you just kept him through the end of that contract, that you'd get nothing when he left at the end of the season. Because I don't think they're going to re-sign him for the long term. They do have outfield depth, and it probably makes sense, you know, when you have a finite budget to, to move on at this point from Andrew McCutcheon. Um, but that, and all that said, I, I like the trade. I mean, I thought there was less value to McCutcheon than Cole. But I like Brian Reynolds. I mean, I, I was on record in 2016 as, as saying I thought Brian Reynolds should have gone at the end of the first round as a switch-hitting outfielder who's got a chance to play center and has pretty solid tools across the board. Um, and the Giants stole him in the second round. But I, I think he's, you know, he's not going to – I'll do a quick giveaway. He's not on our top 100 prospects list. It'll be out in a week or so. But he's also not that far off. If you told me Brian Reynolds surfaced on our top 100 this year, I could see that because he's a talented guy. And Crick, you know, Crick could talk about you – know, we were talking about the circuitous development path of Calmeran. I mean, Crick's a guy who was a supplemental first-round pick who at one point was considered the Giants' top prospect, never had great control but, but really didn't throw many strikes – uh, after he got out of A-ball and kind of bounced back and forth, rotation, bullpen, rotation, bullpen. And then last year he didn't. He still didn't throw a ton of strikes, but he threw more and he surfaced in the big leagues. And he, he's got he's got closer stuff. I don't know if he'll ever command it well enough to be a closer, but I mean he could be a seventh or eighth inning reliever. So I, I actually thought that trade made a lot of sense for what both teams are trying to do in 2018 and beyond. So I, I like that one. And, Jim, you mentioned that they got less for Garrett Cole. But, Jonathan, that makes perfect sense because Garrett Cole, it's two years. He's a pitcher. He's a pitcher that has the, the ability and has shown that he can be a top-of-the-line type of guy versus everything we just said. Yeah, no, I, I think so. It's a, a combination. I mean, you know, Garrett Cole, you know, the, the people who may have been upset about the trade, it's been interesting that since McCutcheon got traded, no one, no one seems to be that upset anymore about the, the Cole trade. It, uh, he wasn't quite as beloved. And he was streaky. You know, McCutcheon had uh, an off year in 2016, but other than that, he had a stretch of three, four years of being one of the better outfielders in, in baseball. And, you know, the thing with Cole is that people who are upset about the trade are convinced that he's going to return to his 2016 form. But even the 2017 version of him, and we'll take out the fact, you know, Minute Maid Park, you know, he still gave you 200 innings, was slightly better than league average, uh, and a bunch of different things. Uh, there's value to that, especially given what his his salary is for this year, and uh, you know he was just arbitration eligible. And so, uh, you know, I think that even if he is that guy again, it was worthwhile uh, for the Astros. And, you know, and and if you, if that's the guy you're trading, then the return makes even more sense. 
Depending on how you feel about Lance McCullers, you could argue that he's going to be the Astros' number four starter as well, which is a pretty good right. position to be in if you're the Houston Astros, for sure, having those guys go out there behind Keuchel and Verlander and McCullers. All right, let's move on to the top uh, top 10 prospect list. Top 100 will be about a week from now. We'll talk about that one. But depending on when you are tuning in and listening to this podcast, uh, the right-handers, left-handers, and catchers are definitely out uh, the first baseman, second base, third, short, outfield, those are coming as well, all leading up to January 27th that I mentioned off the top as the unveil of the top 100. Let's start with the top 10 right-handers heading into 2018, guys. I'll go through the list, and then we'll pick out a couple to talk about. Shohei Otani, number one. He's not. This isn't the only list he'll be on either. Forrest Whitley, number two. Michael Kopech, three. Brent Honeywell, number four. Walker Bueller of the Dodgers, five. Mitch Keller of the Pirates, six. Then it's Alex Reyes with the Cardinals. Hunter Green with the Reds. Tristan McKenzie with the Indians. And Sixto Sanchez with the Phillies. The first guy I want to talk about on the list, and we've talked about the Astros and, and that rotation and how it's shaping up, Forrest Whitley. I'll start with you, Jim. Forrest Whitley checks in at number two. You guys also list him as the highest riser on this list, and he really is climbing fast. No, he is. I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the prospect survey I did where I asked executives who the, the best prospect and best pitching prospect was in baseball, and, and Whitley was the only pitcher besides Otani, who's really a two-way player, to get a vote as the best prospect in baseball. And besides Otani, he was the only player to get multiple votes as the best pitching prospect in baseball. And it's just been, I mean, his rise has been pretty meteoric. I mean, this is a guy who, who looked good in the summer of 2015, but I think he'd even he'd tell you he was, he was overweight. I mean, guys liked the stuff. They didn't love the body. He lost a ton of weight, and, and guys just raved about him the next spring. He wound up going 17th overall in the first round of the 2016 draft, the sixth high school pitcher drafted. We usually don't see that many go that high, and actually he was the first one on the Astros board, and I think he's been even better than they thought. I mean, you know, we t- we've talked about this too, but, I mean, he's, he got to double-A this year in his first full season in pro ball, and the only other high school pitchers taking the first round of the draft this century who've done that are, are Zach Greinke, Chad Billingsley, Clayton Kershaw, and Dylan Bundy, and, and obviously Dylan Bundy, we're still figuring out what he is, Reinke and, and, and Kershaw are superstars, and Chad Billingsley, even though he's out of baseball right now, I mean, he was a former all-star who, who won 80 games in the big league. So that's pretty good company to keep. He can miss bats with four pitches. I, I'm really excited to see what Forrest Whitley does this year. Now, obviously, the Astros have a very good team. They're defending champions. But, but man, if he progresses like he did last year, I mean, he's going to be, like, pushing to get to Houston, you know, by July or August. And Jonathan, obviously, currently no room in that rotation for him. But, hey, if it's that time of year, you could always use him out of the bullpen if he's that effective, right? Sure. And it, and it used to be that uh, teams would do that often to bring a guy, sort of uh, let him acclimate to facing big leaguers, you know, let him pitch out of the bullpen. Uh, you sort of can monitor his innings uh, as a result and then uh, kind of worry about where he fits into the rotation uh, you know, in, in 2019, you know, full-time, assuming he's ready. I mean, he's so young that you can pump the brakes a little bit, and it's not like he's going to fall behind the developmental curve. And I think my favorite tidbit about Forrest Whitley is we, we, we posted the list and we were posting things on Twitter, and he uh, very uh, vociferously wanted to point out that he has not been six foot seven, 240 pounds for two years. Uh, so we, uh, we updated his weight accordingly on his bio information. 
Hey, firsthand knowledge. That's good stuff. Uh, the other guy I wanted to talk about on this list is Alex Reyes because he's a guy that is formerly at the top of this list. And obviously, Tommy John surgery knocks you down a little bit with the St. Louis Cardinals. But, Jonathan, this is a huge year for Reyes. He should be back, um, hopefully ready to go for the Cardinals here. And, and a lot to prove as still a prospect, even though because of the surgery, it's been so long. It's been so long. And, and he wouldn't be on this list if he hadn't gotten hurt, obviously. He would have uh, uh, really established himself in the big leagues, uh, we believe, uh, last year. And uh, He wasn't that far off from graduating off the list anyway uh, from the time uh, in the big leagues. And the stuff is, you know, still the stuff uh, as far as we know. Uh, the only thing is that there's unknown. Uh, and, yes, there's success right after Tommy John surgery. Uh, but, you know, the fastball, curveball, uh, combination, you could put him in the back end of the bullpen and he would dominate. The changeup had improved to the point where you're like, all right, well, he definitely has starter stuff. It's just a question of can he throw enough strikes so his pitch count doesn't get driven up so he can stay in games longer than four or five innings at a time. And that's going to be the biggest question. And, and whether that comes back right away, uh, we'll see. You know, there were really good reports uh, from his rehabbing and, and you know uh, working his way back. He's gotten himself into really good shape. Uh, it was conditioning had been uh, a concern a, a little bit. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think that, you know, there's every chance he will be the guy that we thought he was before. And I answered this question on, on Twitter, you know, he didn't get knocked down to seven so much because of anything he did wrong. We try not to knock guys who, um, who are hurt too much, but, he, he, he was static. You know, he didn't do anything for a year. And the Forrest Whitley's uh, of the world moved ahead of him based on their performance. Yeah, and I think, too, I mean, if we, you know, if we see, if we were redoing this list, say, April 1st, after we saw in spring training how good he looked or, you know, how good his stuff has bounced back. I mean, if you had the Alex race of 2016, he'd be right here at the top of this list, right behind Otani. Um, so it'll be interesting. I think they're targeting, you know, the beginning of May for his return. And the funny thing is, I mean, Jonathan, you're right. I mean, he pitched 46 innings. So once he pitches another four and a third innings in the big leagues, which essentially is one start, he's off the list for good. All right, let's move on to the top ten lefties. Mackenzie Gore of the Padres, number one. Then A.J. Puck with the A's. Justice Sheffield with the Yankees. Luis Gohara with the Braves. Brendan McKay with the Rays. Adrian Morahone with the Padres, so two Padres in the top six. Colby Allard with the Braves. Jesus Lazardo with the A's, their second athletic with the lefties. Steven Gonsalves with the Twins. And then Max Fried with the Braves. So three Braves in the top ten lefties. That's uh, an abundance of riches for sure. Let's. I want to talk, though, about Gohara a little bit because you guys have him marked off as a Rookie of the Year candidate out of this group. You've you're going to do that for every position. But what separates him from the rest of these guys as the Rookie of the Year candidate? Uh, not sure who wrote the article. That person can go. Well, it's actually Mike Rosenbaum. So oh, we'll be waiting fair. a long time, but I, I will jump in. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think, I mean, when we're picking Rookies of the Year, a lot of cases we're picking opportunity. And look, we like O'Hara. He's, he's number four in this list. Uh, you guys may or may not know I like Mackenzie Gore a little bit, but he's not going to be what? near the big leagues this year. You know, A.J. Puck, I think, has a chance to be up, but it would be more midseason. He still has some command iron out. And I do think Justice Sheffield has a chance to be up this year, 
But, you know, he hasn't pitched above double-A, and the Yankees are a pretty loaded team, so they're not going to just throw him in. So I think, you know, Gahara, you know, from a stuff standpoint, he's not too far behind those other guys anyway. I mean, it's a big-time fastball. It's a really good slider. He had his moments last year in the big leagues. He made five starts at the end of the year. Uh, you know, his control has gotten better. Uh, see, we don't hate the Braves, Jonathan, as much as, as some Twitter seems to think we do. But I, I just think if you look at this list, he – Along with Max Fried, who, who's in the – see, we really don't hate the Braves. He and Max Fried are probably the two guys who have the clearest chances to, to pitch in a big league rotation this year. And I think O'Hara is the only guy in this list I would expect to make it opening day. So if you just – you combine the talent and the opportunity, he's kind of an obvious choice here among the left-handed pitchers. Jonathan, your thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. And that, that you know, you'll see as people look at those stories of all the top – you know, top 10 guys, a, a rookie of the year candidate is not going to be the the best guy. Uh, I mean, sometimes it, it might be, uh, but more, more often than not, it's going to be a guy that we know is almost definitively going to be in the rotation and based on maybe what they did late last year, as the case with Gohara, uh, you know, or anything like that, you know, uh, that's going to figure into, into the equation of who we, who we pick for that. And, uh, you know, I, I do agree that, you know, Gohar has got the, the clearest path. Now he told me that Gohar and Freed's going to spend all year in the Braves rotation in, in 2018. I, I could believe it. So uh, it would be an interesting thing to watch those two lefties uh, kind of match up against each other as rookie of the year candidates. The other guy I wanted to mention, highest riser, Jesus Lazardo, uh, one of the two uh, Oakland A's on this list. Uh, Third-round pick by the Nats in 2016. Highest riser pretty quickly, obviously, back to 2016. But what has stood out about him, Jonathan, uh, since he was drafted as a third-round pick that's moved him up into this echelon? I mean, it's the, the stuff has bounced all the way back. You know, it was interesting his senior year. I do the Florida draft, and his name was shooting up because he, he was a guy that over the summer was really intriguing because he really knew how to pitch. And I always love guys like that on the summer showcase circuit because everyone is pitching to the gun and he was coming in and he had decent stuff and he was just commanding the ball well. And then he came out the beginning of the spring throwing 95, 96. Uh, So everyone was getting excited and then he blew out his elbow. And I think everyone just thought, well, maybe he was overthrowing. What was the deal? And then since he's come back, that's where he has been, mid-90s, bumping 97, 98. Uh, since since he came back and uh, he had a, an above uh, an above average plus changeup and a and a decent breaking ball and he still has that command uh, that those are all the things that sort of add up to where we put him now it's an aggra- it was a little aggressive I think on, on our part uh, Jim if you you know you can jump in on this in terms of the process but I feel overall we were trying to be a little bit more aggressive with guys who have ceiling. Uh, taking a few more chances, and uh, I mean, Lazardo is yet to pitch in full season ball, uh, so I get it. You know, 43 and a third innings last year. We need to see how he holds up over the course of a full season. But I like rolling the dice and and being a little aggressive with a guy like this. Yeah, no, I agree, and I, and I think that is what we're doing here. I mean, you know, they, they, you know, I think if Lazardo doesn't get hurt in high school, he he is a first round pick in 2016, and and maybe his name would be a little bit more known in, in prospect circles. And there you go. Go my dogs, because there's somebody at my front door, uh, so my dogs will bark now for a little bit. But uh, they, they, Your dogs love Jesus Lazardo. 
They, they, they're, they're, they, that's right. They, they like Jesus Lazardo. They're also protecting me here against whoever's intruding. But uh, um, no, I mean, I, and, and you know, I've said this a thousand times, probably more than I've even said how much I like Mackenzie Gore. When I, you know, when I'm looking at prospects, I'll tend to err on the side of ceiling. And so I'm I'm wholeheartedly behind putting Jesus Lazardo on the top ten lefties, even though you know he, he's barely pitched in pro ball and he hasn't pitched in full season ball yet. All right, let's move on to the catchers now. Top 10 catchers, Francisco Mejia of the Indians is number one. Carson Kelly with the Cardinals, two. Uh, Kiba Ruiz with the Dodgers, three. Sean Murphy with the A's, four. Jake Rogers in Detroit, five. Jorge Alfaro with the Phillies is sixth. And Chance Sisko with the Orioles. Danny Jansen with the Blue Jays, Zach Collins with the White Sox, and Victor Caratini with the Cubs. So Chicago dominating number nine and ten. The guy, first guy I want to talk about is Jorge Alfaro. Um... He's made it, obviously, to the big leagues. Some of the guys on this list have either made it or are knocking on the door. You guys have Alfaro as well picked as top rookie of the year candidate. Um, the Phillies are in full rebuild mode, and he is going to be the guy. Is that the biggest reason for that, Jim? Yeah, it is. I mean, it, I think I want to say five of these ten guys have played in the big leagues already. But of those five, uh, Alfaro is the one guy who, who I think is guaranteed to be an opening day starter. Chance Cisco may start in Baltimore, but Carson Kelly is not going to push Molina aside. May Francisco Mejia is not ready defensively to catch on a regular basis for a team that has designs of getting back to World Series. And Victor Caratini is more of a offensive-minded backup who can play the infield corner. So Alfaro is the one guy who's going to come in this year with a chance to play. You know, it'll be interesting. I mean, it feels like this guy's been a prospect forever, and he was signed back in 2010. And and while he has developed, I mean, he's still – I swear the things we would have said about him about five years ago are, are, are still true. I mean, he's a good athlete for a catcher. He's got exceptional raw power. He's got exceptional arm strength. Uh, the receiving ability can be a little inconsistent, and he swings and misses an awful lot. Now, he looked really good during a, a two-month call-up. Last year with the Phillies, hit 318 with five homers in 29 games, but he also struck out 33 times and only walked three. I mean, discipline's never been a, a strong suit. So he's kind of the leading rookie of the year candidate by default because he's the one guy, the, the, the one catcher I think you can point to and say, okay, that guy should get 350 or 400 at-bats. Although I, I do think he, he also still has a lot to prove because the, the, the strengths and weaknesses are still the same you would have said about him five years ago. Jonathan, when you're talking about a team rebuilding like the Phillies are, obviously they have some young pitching coming. There's prospects all around the diamond on the way. But I always feel like if it's, if there's a young catcher involved like Alfaro, maybe that's the most important piece if you're going to win eventually. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, especially if you look at him as your long-term solution. You know, there are going to be bumps along the way. It's it's one of the positions – you know, I guess you could argue, you know, a sh- shortstop defensively if he's learning how to play the position. But typically, a guy who can play short will be able to play play short. Uh, you know, Alfaro's got some things to learn. You know, Jim mentioned the receiving skills; they're okay. The arm, the, the arm is great. Pitchers are going to love the arm. Um, you know, unless he tries to show it off too much, and and you know that can can go awry. Uh, but a catcher development developing at the big league level can impact the pitching staff, you know, more so than a young player playing in another position, just because he's calling the game, he's, he's receiving, he's framing. Uh, those are all things that Alfaro is going to have to take steps forward. You know, otherwise the, the pitchers aren't really going to like 
throwing to him you know, as much. Now, they're going to have to learn together because, as you said, it's a, it's a young staff. But if the Phillies want to start moving the things from the rebuild towards competing with this young nucleus, uh, it's going to be key for Alfaro to, to make some, some fairly serious strides on the receiving end of things. The other catcher I wanted to get into is Danny Jansen of the Blue Jays. The reason I have him listed as humblest beginning, 16th round pick in 2013. Um, he has really come a long way. He had a big 2017, Jonathan, and now he's at the point where he's about ready for the big leagues, and the Blue Jays have a kind of aging set of backstops, and they're going to be ready for him pretty soon. Yeah, I, I think so, and uh, you know he can do a lot of things uh, pretty well. It was really injuries just really destroyed his development and and held him back uh, a whole bunch of uh, things. In you know broken bone and then a broken hemi, uh, you know, and so he missed a ton of that. That's uh, made up for it in the AFL 2016 and used that as a springboard to the year that he had this past year where he went. Uh, from the Florida State League all the way up to to AAA and hit everywhere. Uh, Now, he doesn't have the the gun that an Alfaro does, uh, but he's solid. He's an average defender uh, behind the plate, and he will, I would imagine, be in AAA and will just be uh, knocking on the door, uh, you know, depending on what the Blue Jays do in 2018 and how those veterans fare. You you may see him for a substantial part of the 2018 season as well. Jim, you want to jump in there? No, I mean, I think he pretty much hit the nail on the head there. I mean, he was one of the better high school players in Wisconsin in 2013. You know, he was you know 16th round pick. He got 100,000, which was uh, the max at that point in the draft without affecting the bonus pools. But, you know, it was more... You know, he wasn't a big-time guy. I want to say he was committed to the University of Jacksonville or Jacksonville University. Like, for whatever reason, there's a good connection between the Dolphins and Wisconsin for whatever reason. But, you know, guys liked him. But I don't think anybody necessarily said, okay, in three or four years, that guy's going to be one of the best catching prospects in baseball. So he's he's done a nice job overcoming some injuries that really cost him development time, like Johnson alluded to. All right, great stuff, guys. Uh, we will keep these uh, top tens coming out. Uh, definitely check them out on MLB Pipeline. There's a lot more in the articles as far as best tools among the top ten guys and all sorts of other stuff. And we will do more of this next week. And then the top 100 list is looming as well. This has been the MLB Pipeline podcast. For Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time. <laughs>